CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's Tuesday, June 27th, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine here again with George Kaloudis for your Daily News Roundup. On today's show, we're talking Bitcoin, Zimbabwe, top headlines, and more. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's George with today's Markets Update. It's a mixed bag of a day with Bitcoin up, Ether down slightly, and the broader Coindesk index trending higher. Sentiment is generally positive. According to data from digital asset manager CoinShares, over the last week, digital asset investment products enjoyed the largest single weekly inflows in a year after nine consecutive weeks of outflows. Bitcoin-related products were the primary asset for inflows, with $188 million coming in, a healthy 94% of inflows. Short Bitcoin products, in contrast, saw a total outflow of $4.9 million, marking the ninth consecutive week of net exits. However, the positive sentiment in Bitcoin did not flow through into altcoin investments, as Bitcoin's dominance, a measure of how much of crypto's market value is made up of Bitcoin's market value, ticked up from 51.5% to about 51.75%. Bitcoin continues its strong 2023, up 85% massively outperforming traditional markets, and it stands to get stronger as June comes to a close and we enter July, a month which has been historically strong for Bitcoin's price. Now, past performance is not indicative of future results, but three consecutive years of price gain in July is at least a pattern to take a look at. Today's crypto market coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk Markets analysts Lila Ledesma and James Rubin. Bitcoin is currently trading at $30,631, while Ether is trading at $1,878 per token, according to the Coindesk Market Index. And shifting to traditional markets. In the US, it's flat to red with tech taking the worst of it. The Dow Industrial Average is flat, the S&P 500 is down, and the Nasdaq Composite fell 1.2%. In Europe, the flat to red trend is the same, with Germany's DAX flat, the regional stock 600 trading down 0.3%, and London's FTSE 100 dropping 0.2%. In Asia, we see a partial bucking of the trend, with Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index up 1.9%, and the Shanghai Composite gaining 1.2%. Meanwhile, Japan's Nikkei 225 fell in line with the broader US and European trend by losing 0.5%. In commodities markets, Brent crude, that's the international benchmark for oil, sits roughly in the middle of its one-month range, down 0.5% and priced at $73.83 per barrel. Gold, meanwhile, is down 0.2%, changing hands at $1,936 per troy ounce. 
And yet again, First Republic is trading like an exciting upstart tech company, or maybe a low float penny stock up a massive 18.5% at a whopping 36 cents per share. Today's traditional market coverage draws from MarketWatch. Stay tuned for after the break when we'll take a look at ETFs and banking rules. Back in a minute. Welcome back. Circle's co-founder and CEO Jeremy Allaire expects the next wave of Bitcoin exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, to be approved as past concerns of regulators are being addressed. Quote, I believe progress is being made with more mature market structures that would support something like that. You have mature spot markets, well-regulated custody infrastructure, and good market surveillance, he said during an interview with Bloomberg at the World Economic Forum. Continuing, Many of the past concerns are being addressed, suggesting that these kinds of products are more likely to be approved for general investor access, end quote. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, has recently received another batch of spot Bitcoin ETFs, this time from blue-chip asset managers such as BlackRock, which manages trillions of dollars worth of capital, and Invesco. The cynical view is that, yes, these ETFs will be approved, in all likelihood, but because of who is applying, which is to say the extremely rich and powerful entities from the world of traditional finance, rather than because of whatever minor differences exist in the applications. But that's just my opinion. Coindesk's Sam Reynolds has more of the straight story on this one. Meanwhile, the European Union, or EU, earlier this morning secured a political deal on new bank capital legislation, including for crypto assets, after lawmakers sought what are described as prohibitive rules to keep unbacked crypto out of the traditional financial system. The deal was announced in a tweet from the European Parliament's Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee after a meeting among representatives of the European Parliament, national governments, and the European Commission, which had first proposed the new rules back in 2021. The political deal, which also introduces sweeping and controversial changes to how banks assess the risk of corporate and home loans, must now be voted on by member states and the EU's council, and by lawmakers to become legislation, a process that in practice can take many months. The council statement also confirmed the deal includes a, quote, transitional prudential regime for crypto assets, end quote, without providing any further details. International standard setters at the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision are currently finalizing what a global crypto rulebook would look like. But details already out suggest this asset class is being dealt with a little bit differently from most, assigning the maximum possible 1,250% risk weight to what they describe as free-floating cryptocurrencies. Translated, that means that banks would have to issue a euro of capital for each euro of Bitcoin or Ether that they hold, which is in sharp contrast to other asset classes, giving them little incentive to buy into the market and a whole lot of reasons not to do so. EU parliamentarians appear keen to see those measures take effect sooner rather than later. But negotiations aren't over yet. Under a compromise privately proposed by the European Commission late during the talks, that strict stance could be somewhat softened for regulated stablecoins, which appears to have found favor among EU governments, who must also agree before the bill becomes law. Coindesk's Jack Schickler has more on this one. And finally, before we end today's show, let's dig into an increasingly telling story, the tale of Zimbabwe and their state-issued gold-backed cryptocurrency. On May 8th, the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe started issuing gold-backed digital tokens, which are a form of electronic money supposedly backed by the country's gold reserves. Gold-backed digital token investors will be able to hold and exchange their tokens for the hyperinflating local currency in the first phase of the project, and in the next phase will be able to trade and make payments with it, according to the central bank. An official at the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe told the local Sunday Mail in April that they were issuing this digital token to try and stabilize the Zimbabwe dollar, which dramatically collapsed back in 2008, setting a comically, if it weren't real, record rate of inflation that peaked at a staggering 79 billion percent per month. 
The issue though, of course, is not that there's anything wrong with these gold-backed tokens, just as there's nothing inherently incorrect about the Zimbabwe dollar itself. It is, always and of course, about trust in the folks responsible for issuing and managing the currency, and also about whether the government views the creation of new money, commonly known as printing, even in these digital days, as a way to pay its bills, which most modern governments seem to do. The problem, very simply, is that when a government creates new money for its own purposes, the total money supply expands, but is unevenly distributed, even as it pushes down the value of that money for all users, which then means the government has to print more money to meet its needs, which then pushes down the value more. One important aspect of why the value drops is that, since the value is dropping, there's little reason to save in the local currency, and every reason to buy something, anything else, that isn't falling in value as quickly. That dynamic is, of course, self-reinforcing, and there are no good ways out of it. But printing money is arguably the long and terrible path instead of letting the government essentially collapse, at least in the current way it spends money, which would, at least in theory, be a shorter terrible path. Zimbabwe is one of the most notorious and repetitive cases of hyperinflation, but this is not a new story. Back in 2009, inflation was so devastating that the country actually issued an entirely new Zimbabwe dollar, cutting 12 zeros from the earlier version of the currency, which means that it had a conversion rate of 1 trillion of the old currency to 1 of the new currency. But since they didn't solve the underlying problem, nothing really changed, except a whole lot of people getting a lot poorer. By November of last year, the annual consumer price inflation for what the central bank describes as a compressed basket of goods was at 107% in the country, and in June, inflation rose to more than 175%, following further devaluations of the local currency. And so, researchers are, unsurprisingly, not convinced that a digital token will solve the country's currency woes. Quote, It's not a panacea to the challenges it's wrestling, a senior research economist and policy advisor at the Labor Economic Development Research Institute of Zimbabwe recently said. The reason experts are skeptical about the gold-backed digital token's prowess is because it may not be enough, or may in fact not be related at all, to stop money supply growth, which is the real problem at hand, even according to the experts. A digital token, without strong macroeconomic policies in place, cannot reduce the amount of money circulating in the economy, the experts said. And that is the real problem. It's not complicated. It's actually incredibly simple. The amount of currency circulating in an economy is the supply. The amount of stuff in the economy that people might want to use currency to buy or sell is the demand. The problem is that governments can create as much currency as they want, expanding the supply at essentially no cost, but they can't create any more stuff that would absorb that new supply and balance it out. If you have too much currency, the value of it goes down, relative to the stuff. Which brings us to why something like gold has historically been used as money. Because, although it has many characteristics that make it a good currency, along with some that don't, it exists in real life and can't be created just for free to pay the government's bills whenever they feel like it. And because of that, it's held up as a form of money that can be trusted. The problem with that, though, is convertibility. Gold has to be either directly used as the currency, as in gold coins, or just like Tether in USDC, you have to trust someone, in this case a government notorious for mismanaging their currency, to properly manage the gold that backs that digital asset and to not overissue the currency or misrepresent it in any way. In the central bank's announcement back on April 28th, they casually note, quote, holders of physical gold coins at their discretion will be able to exchange or convert through the banking system the physical gold coins into gold-backed digital tokens, end quote. That might sound good in theory, but there's an important thing that they left out. There is notably no discussion or seeming ability to take a digital token that represents gold and convert it into the physical coins. 
And that exchange mechanism, or the lack thereof, is the only way that you can really hold an untrustworthy government to account to make sure that they're not over-issuing, to make sure that they do have what they say. This Roach Motel aspect of this game, though, seems intentional. The local government is seemingly trying to fix their overproduction of money problem by continuing to issue more new money that rely implicitly on a trustworthy custodian, which they obviously are not. But it's dressed up in a different flavor, and might be more appealing at least than the terribleness that people are used to. It's just the latest reminder of why central bank digital currencies are likely a non-starter for anyone who isn't forced to use them. They're an evolution of our current system, where central banks and governments use the monies they manage as an indirect means of taxation, causing high to very high inflation as the money loses its value, rather than maintaining them as stable, long-term stores of value as their citizens and users would obviously prefer. Zimbabwe is just the latest and furthest along in this cycle, but the problem they face is not unique. It's an important story, and it's one we'll be watching. For more on this one, we've got an in-depth piece linked from Chamomile Shumba. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Today's episode was edited by Ryan. And for those of you still with us, we'd love to hear what you think. You can send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. 